Hello ladies and gentlemen, Jordan here, the PH is silent, and in this episode of the Saturday Morning D&D Show, we talk about character death, um, as well as Lucian talks about ending his West Marches campaign to start his official West Marches campaign, and uh, I talk about having my players fight themselves. Let's dive in. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Saturday Morning D&D Show. My name is Jordan, with a silent PH in the middle, and I am joined always by my wonderful co-host, Sir Lucian, over at Sir Lucian Gaming. Say hello, sir. Woo! Hello, yeah. everybody. Hello, everybody. Show. Gosh, it's it's really fun. we got some awesome people in chat that are pumped. So thank you guys so much yeah. for coming out and watching our humble little show on Saturday morning. So I know it's uh, it's it's not difficult to wake up this early, but like for some people, it's like it's Saturday. Only West Coast. Why? Yeah. <laughs> why are you doing? Why are you doing this? I just know this because my wife is like, oh yeah, you have your show. It's so early, and I'm like, it's at 10 a.m. where I'm at. It's not early at all. But whatever. <laughs> um, yeah, so for those of you who might be new to us, uh, we talk about some D&D news, and then we kind of go into uh, what it takes to be a dungeon master, and we talk about uh, our games that we're currently running, and just like little thoughts that pop up of like, you know, I could have handled this better, or how should I have handled this, or uh, what should I have done in this situation, um, and that's kind of just the format of the show. So we usually start off with uh, Dungeons & Dragons news. And for this, uh, we wanted to talk about something that's a bit of a spoiler for Critical Role. So if you guys, uh, we're not going to get into details about Critical Role, but we do want to talk about something that happened on the show. So if you are um, currently watching Critical Role or you're behind on it and you don't want to have any spoilers, um, you can pause this, go watch Critical Role, and then hopefully come back and watch it later. If you're watching live, then we're sorry to see you go, but uh, I totally understand because I am somebody who actively avoids spoilers because I like to enjoy things um, as they happen. But this has already been talked about a lot on Twitter, um, so we're not spoiling a whole bunch if you're active on Twitter. Uh, so get ready, because in three, two, <laughs> one, we're going to talk about character death and critical role. Um, so there was a death on critical role um, in the, not the last episode, but the episode before that. I forget the number of it. 25 yeah. maybe i don't remember something like that yeah um but uh it got a little bit of a backlash from twitter like people were pretty upset that matthew mercer handled it the way he handled it um i even saw one person or one argument was saying that him and the guest that they had on were conspiring to actually kill somebody together which didn't seem and i've watched it and it didn't feel like that that was the case at all um and it just got me thinking about like if we don't have character death in the game, like if it isn't a real possibility, then what's kind of the point of the game? Like those high stakes don't exist if we don't have consequences. Uh, and I guess, yeah, I don't know. Like that sums up the entire conversation I wanted to have, but <laughs> like death, I'm done. <laughs> I'm, yeah. In a way, like it, I thought it was really interesting that people were, I mean, obviously you get attached to these characters. So people are upset that their yeah, character yeah. is gone. And that's what? true. Yeah. That is sad. I think that's the point, really. I think that's the big thing that, to me, when it all happened, and it wasn't just even Twitter, we saw it on, people started talking about it on their other shows. I saw other people talking about it. You know, WebDM was talking about some stuff, and then they had some other um, podcasts that I saw Matt Mercer on was talking about it, and people, D&D &D Beyond wanted to talk about it. So all of a sudden, there was enough of an uproar that a bunch of people and a bunch of shows yeah. want to talk about it. And a lot of people came out exactly the way you said, that this idea of, 
hey, if our games don't have consequences, then what's the point? And to me, I think I'm a little un unpopular in the opinion that I thought it's okay if you want to play a game where death isn't on the table. And if you watched Matt's last um, interview he did, he really comes out on the side of his critics because his critics started getting bashed even more from all the people that support Matt, right? Because nobody knew anything until Matt posted a thing that said, hey, I, I'm getting some hate um, and I, I realize what's going on. And then all the support washes in because Critical Role support mm -hmm. obviously is like a hundred times more than the criticism they get, right? They have loud critics and they'll have people that I'm sure send him DMs or messages in private or maybe even, even more public ones. But obviously the support for that show far outstrips that and then even a couple days on he comes back out with a tweet and he says oh you know what i i need to acknowledge all the support we do get what i was referring to as a very small minority and i don't want them to be able to control the conversation but I, right. when i said it it was in that moment of emotion and things that were going on and i thought that was a really cool thing because later on he says it's okay to be upset when somebody dies or a character dies or oh, if yeah. you want to play in a game where your character you don't want them to die and you're working with your DM and checking in with your DM and they kind of know what's going on. And that's the story you want to play or death um, affects you in some way. Um, it's just like when you say, I want to put off the table torture. I want to put off the table racism of some sort. I want to put off the table, something that might be a little, I want to come to a game and play and have fun. You've got to really check in with your table. What was clear is his table understands that they have high stakes. His players understand they mm -hmm. have high stakes. And his table and his group of players are all about story and what those characters would do and getting really into it. So it's that's what makes it okay. Not that somebody has a, a reaction that that's not how I would do it or that my game would be different. And it could be. You could be right. If your game's different and your players are different, your decision would have been completely different at your table, and that's right too. That's okay too because yeah. you – and your players are playing the game that you expect. So to me, I thought it was really interesting that we've always got to be careful about jumping on, bandwagoning on to people, even though, even if you get some criticism. Now, if they're calling them, you know, dropping F-bombs and calling them slurs and, and calling them names, that's not the way you bring up your point of, hey, I wouldn't have done that, Matt Mercer. And I'm not going to defend that type of person. If that's the type of criticism he was getting, like, hey, you should die because you did this and I, you know, that's not what I'm talking about. Yeah. But if you somebody brings up a game, legitimate, it's like, it's not really yeah. your game, buddy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. If somebody brings up something legitimate and say, I think you did that wrong. And I never would have done that to my players at my table. That's a valid thing. That's not something to jump on that person and just destroy them because they kind of criticize something that, that we all love and like. But I also thought it does bring us into this idea of talking about player death, because when I saw it, I went back and watched the thing. It's funny because he didn't kill the character. If you watch the, the sequence of what happened, um, one of the characters used an ability that takes hit points from themselves to power the ability. Mm -hmm. He used it and it killed himself. It dropped him to zero. He did it because he didn't manage his resources of the character he was playing correctly. It wasn't Matt. Now Matt put the nail in the coffin. Yeah, and that's right? what I he wanted didn't to let talk him about. walk yeah. away. But he didn't kill that character. And I think in that moment, that was very interesting. And he didn't kill the rest of the party because it was clear from that combat, if you watch it, they were losing. And he's yeah. throwing hints out at the very end, You're this is bad. You And he kept telling you know certain characters, your character knows this is bad. Your character knows this is going the wrong way over and over. He's using that language to say, 
run, right? Because we've talked about this in some of our other shows that you can have a deadly encounter or you can have something happen in your campaign that your players can't handle, like a roper. <laughs> <laughs> We're just saying that because Jordan almost killed us with a roper. I did. That but was fine. You fun. have to give the hints to the players that, hey, this is really bad. You better start making your decisions. You can't just throw something at them with no information. You've got to give them a little bit to say. You see bodies everywhere. The walls are smeared in blood. You hear the pounding of the floor of something big is coming. That's that's your key. Now, if you want to stay and something goes wrong, that's on you and your group. If you want to take that hint, you're out. So I think death is, and I am agree with you, in my games and with my players, death is on the table. Um, I think it's fun. And here's the other thing that, when I looked at it, I thought, why is this an uproar? Why would somebody be upset? And it's because they don't want to have death probably in their game. So they, they express that. But the idea also that I came up to was D and D characters don't die unless you let them. Right. Any character can be brought back to life. Yeah. And that could be a whole story and a whole quest to do yeah, that. There's like, ways, that's the point. even if the body's not recoverable, you can still bring somebody back. You can bring somebody back by making deals with the devil, one of the devils, one of the great devils, right? You can bring somebody back with reincarnation. You can bring somebody back with these other ones. Some of them need like parts of the body to make it happen. But in your game, it could be, there's a million ways. So it's not like mm -hmm. the game ends. What in, ends up happening is you as the player who's died has to make that decision and the party has to make the decision. Is it, would our party go to the lengths of the earth to bring this one person back? Or would they let that person rest and lie just like all the thousands of adventurers that die day in and day out in Forgotten Realms or any world that you're in? Adventurers are coming up and dying, coming up and dying in your world. If your world's a real living kind of world, is this you know character going to be that or not? So I think with that type of discussion, and I think if those people that were critics of that um, at the moment were thinking of that in that way, then you could have a really good discussion about, oh yeah, it could be a good turning point because even in last season how many times did they have a character die and they did the resurrection sequence mm -hmm. right the sequence of the players have to say from their players perspective what do you do how do you encourage this person to come back from the brink come back from the edge come back from following the light we had at least two i can think of in season one right we had liam's character and sam's right As, was there anybody else that died last season and then came back i didn't watch season one i'm oh, sorry spoiled it. <laughs> spoiled it but so even then it happened so if you're a huge fan of critical role you knew it happened in that season why would you not why would it be a weird thing to happen well, in this week? and i don't know how it happened earlier but like uh i think something to point out is that they uh, Matt Mercer handled it from a very like narrative standpoint, as opposed to a very like dice roll standpoint, like their, their roles were bad. They were in a tough situation. He ended up kind of like killing himself by accident, but then Matt Mercer, like we said, put the nail in the coffin by narratively. This is kind of what would make sense is this guy was going to finish the job. And so, um, I thought that was probably why people were backlashed because it wasn't just like luck of the dice that he died. It wasn't him making death saving throws. It was just kind of like, sorry, this is the situation. But you have to understand also they're making a show 
they're not just playing D and D like this is, this is what is narratively interesting. And that is what was narratively interesting um, in my opinion, I guess. And so it made perfect sense to right. do something that huge in a game right. like that. So, and he made that up in the moment. I think yeah. that's the other thing that gets lost in it. Cause it was no plan. He didn't sit down and say, okay, these four characters are going to make it into this fight and three of them are going to do this. And I know I want to kill this one. It wasn't like some scripted out thing, even if it was, Hey, we want to make a cool show. So, Hey Jordan, let's make sure we kill this character. Cause that's going to be a cool show. Yeah, it was, there yeah. was nothing like that at all. It was in the moment from an actor who is a voice actor who prides himself into getting into character was in the moment that villain in character as much as he could. And his brain said, that's what this character would do, and I'm going to do it. He didn't think about, hey, this will get ratings better. Or yeah, yeah. He, he even said, at, as he did it, the few thoughts after that was, uh-oh, what have I done? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> because he was so in the moment of being the villain, which is cool. I mean, there's a lot of people I can do it. And I think you get that from the actors, the people who are theater people, actor people, who are all about the idea of I want to get into my character. I want to, I want to fit into their clothes. I want to wear their shoes. I'm going to really try to do the things they would do, even if they're not optimal, even if they're not whatever. And that's that group. That is that group to a T as far as characters. And you know, I mean, it didn't, it probably optically didn't help that that character then got up from the table and left mm -hmm. because if you weren't sure what the group dynamic is there, you could read into that and it wasn't, you could read into it wrong they're all good with it. They've all talked and they've all are yeah. perfectly fine with where things are going, but it could have looked like that player got up and was pissed. Right. And you don't know what he might've been mad at or, or she might've been mad at. So there's a lot that can go on that you don't know right in the minute that it's happening. And it's their game. As long as they're enjoying their game, they get to play it the way they want. And you get to be right. If that's not the way you would do it at your table and your group wouldn't do it that way, you're right too, because it's at your table and it's with your group of people. You're both right. They're, you're not wrong. Nobody's right and wrong in that situation. So I just think it was very interesting. It brought up character death. And like you said, um, you know, is it a finality or not? Um, is it about... St only stories. Some people, we just do really combat heavy games, stories second, mm -hmm. right? Some people don't do voices. Some people just say, my character does this. They're not into their character in that way. So their game's going to be very different. I think that's okay. So I think it was a good discussion to have, but I also think in some ways, Matt wields this weird sword, like the sword of um, um, Democles, I think is the name Damocles, of it. Damocles, yeah. Yeah, because his his popularity in the show and being a, in a, a widely regarded game master, dungeon master, if he brings something up about somebody and says, this person was a jerk to me, he's unleashing a hundred thousand fans on that person who was a jerk to him. And that's all of a sudden more than you want to do. Like that's that, that weird fame thing where, all of a sudden you make one word and then somebody just can get destroyed because you happen to disagree with a different person or whatever. And I always want to be careful that we're not doing it. I want to have good discussion. Even if you think you're right or I think you're wrong or whatever, I don't want it to turn into, I'm going to try to find a way for you to quit, you know, cancel your Twitter account, um, not play D and D or not be accepted in the community. I want to have discourse with the people who disagree with me because that's the only way for us to keep, 
questioning our own beliefs and our own ideas on how we would do things. Mm-hmm. We have to be able to converse with each other with those people who say, hey, I would never do it the way you did it, Jordan. I wouldn't do that. And we've mm-hmm. got to be able to say, oh, okay, well, let's go through why that is and whether we change each other's minds or not, you know. So have so, you uh, killed a, a, p- a player character? Yes. Okay. By accident. I didn't think it was going to happen. We had a player missing and our players immediately in session, one session after that brought the body and they were resurrected. And then I gave the player who was gone. Here's the worst crime. That player wasn't even here. (laughs) I was playing his character because he couldn't make it that night. And, but I let his team make the death saves and they failed them all. And he died, died, died. And so we came back, I told him about it and he laughed about it because he wasn't there. And it was like, you have to make a decision. Do you let this character go or do you let it ride? Do you want to create a new one? And I really talked to him about, this is a cool opportunity. So just take your time and think about it. If you're really into the character you have, you have right now, the group's going to bring you back. They're willing to do whatever it takes, take on whatever debt, pay whatever it is they have to do. They're going to bring you back if you want to. If you don't, that's that's good too. They're going to lay you to rest and then we'll figure out how the new character comes in and meets the group and we'll continue on Storm King's Thunder. So yeah, it's definitely happened. Um, we've had two deaths in that campaign, in fact. <laughs> and both took it, uh, they loved it. it. I think in the moment they were shocked, Yeah. but then they loved the idea. The minute their minds started thinking about, I get to make a new character, they were like, oh, this is going to be so good. I'm going to do this differently this time, or I'm going to do this. And now I'm making a fourth level character so I can really expand out. It's not like I'm starting back at first level again. Yeah. So I'm really expanding out. But if they wanted to continue that story, they definitely could. So, um, but I haven't done, I tried to T, te- we're going to get into this later today. I tried as hard as I could to TPK my t- my group in the finale of our pre campaign. And I was unsuccessful. The dice would not let me TPK <laughs> as much as I tried. And they knew it. I, they knew I was trying to kill them and I couldn't do it. Yeah, I get. Uh, so I killed somebody in my Tomb of Horrors game, uh, which was fun. But uh, I made these videos about my experiences in the Tomb of Horrors. And I get lots of comments that say that I'm, I was too nice. And I, was, I ruined the adventure because I, like, I watered it down or I did this and this and this, which I feel like I didn't do. I just, uh, my players were very prepared going in. And mm-hmm. the idea was that the Tomb of Horrors is supposed to like shock them into being how difficult it actually is that they die. Uh, so with, now that I'm running Hot Springs Island, I'm trying to run it exactly how random it really is. So when you come into an area, you roll randomly to see what monsters are in that area. And it could be um, an earth elemental that will kill everybody, or it could be, uh, like a frog that is a CR zero creature that they can easily take out if they wanted to take out. So mm-hmm. it's, it's an interesting exercise, I guess, going forward, running hot Springs Island and being a little more like, these are where the, the chips fall guys like live or die. It's kind of up to you what bad decisions or good decisions you want to make. So, right. I don't know. It's, it's interesting. And I wonder too, had he killed that whole party two episodes ago? Yeah. Whoa, you know, that's big because you are an entertaining show. It's like Star Trek is halfway through its season. The ship blows up and Picard and the whole crew is dead. Yeah, you lose all those people. Oh, we're watching Star Trek. We have a show. I watch it every Thursday or whenever they were playing. Yeah, your heroes can't die. You killed everybody. Yeah. What is going on? 
I, that's not what I want. That's not what I tune in for. I want to see them solve problems. Why, why'd you just kill them? So I understand the whole idea of somebody just reaction to that. So it, it's a very interesting thing. And I think it generated a lot of good discussion. And I hope a lot of people rethought the way they think about it, um, came up with other ideas on how they would handle it, or it forced people to check in with their group and say, hey, you guys realize this is a dangerous game. Or, you get, or even it could be, hey, you guys realize I kind of pull punches because I want to see this story from 1 to 20. I want to really see your characters become heroes. So we're playing kind of a lighthearted game, and that's cool with everybody at the table, right? And everybody's, you know, you have to get your buy-in. You have to get your check-in. It's not just one time. You don't check in at the beginning of the campaign and you're done. You constantly check in. And that was one of the things Matt was saying quite a bit was I'm ch constantly checking in with my players because he's so worried about the things that he's doing might not jive with what they wanted. Right. So he wants to make sure that because it's a group effort, this is not here, – here's the controversial part, GMs and DMs. This is not your game. It doesn't matter that you put in a lot of time to set it up. It doesn't matter that you built this whole world. It's not your game. It's our game. It's you and the table. Every player is a contributing factor to that game, and everybody has to be um, okay with what game you're playing. You know what I mean? Yeah. So Social I think it was contracts. really good. I think it was interesting. Yeah. <laughs> it was interesting. Uh, no, and I thought, yeah. So, I, again, we're just rehashing the same thing over and over. But um, it was... It was really cool. So, Mr. Lucian, uh, what have you done? Or are there any other news that we need to discuss? I didn't think anything else really happened. They're releasing those uh, alternate cover books, uh, yep. Wizards of the Coast is, with those, I mean, they're really cool looking books. I'm gonna um, buy two of them. But uh, <laughs> the, the alternate covers are only in game stores again. And it's part yeah. of a, a Dungeon Master, or it's part of a bundle, I think. So you get the DM's uh, the Dungeon Master's Guide, the Monster Manual, and the Player's Handbook, and a DM screen for like $130 or something. It's like some bundle together. So, so at least it's a discount, right, then? Because, yeah, I if think you so, paid them yeah. separate, that'd be about 50 bucks. It's about $49.95, I yeah. think, when I went to the store. So, yeah, you're, you're saving about 50 bucks to get a bundle. I think that's pretty good. I didn't have um, an original Monster Manual. I've just been borrowing a friend's as I've been reading it. So I've needed one, uh, mm -hmm. a Monster Manual, even though I use Volos and all those other ones quite a bit more. And I thought it'd be cool to have a nice player's handbook. And you can always have an extra player's handbook. So I think yeah. I'm going to buy the bundle. Cool. Even though I don't need another DMG, but it'll be cool. So it, it's funny because when I read that originally, I thought, why in the world would anybody buy more books? And then I realized, oh, well, here's some reasons I'm going to. <laughs> yeah. No, it's and it's a bundle. It's very much like it's Dungeons and Dragons. Like, here's here's what you need yeah. to basically run the game. Here are the three core books and a DM screen. Um, I'm a little surprised yeah. it doesn't even come with dice. You think it would be like, here literally is everything you need. Because um, the starter set, I yeah. think, comes with dice. So I was a little, I thought it was interesting. Or maybe it does and I'm wrong. So... I don't know. Now that I'm thinking, I'm like, I didn't yeah, actually read it that well, and maybe it does come with dice, but... Uh, yeah. yeah, there should be news, bigger news this week. It's supposed to be coming sometime this upcoming week. They're yeah. making an announcement. So though we don't have much this week, I watched... I didn't watch Mike Merles, but I still am assuming he's talking about um, monster creation for his campaign, or he might have moved on. I watched Jeremy is back, finally. Jeremy Crawford's back from his vacation, and he was talking about the... They're still looking at the giant soul sorcerer, which has been a big thing over the last you know few episodes that they've done. The, so those are the big things that I saw. Um, and all the games are gearing up for 
Gen Con and release announcement and new edition announcements and some Kickstarters were starting because once you get to a month before Gen Con, a lot of those Kickstarters want to advertise what's going on for games. So we're seeing a lot of that stuff starting to ramp up. There's a lot of role-playing games coming out. Um, there's a lot of role-playing games having new editions with all the Monty Cook stuff that they're doing. Um, so there's a lot out there for us to all absorb <laughs> yeah. gaming-wise, which is really good. And that's not even talking like board games or card games or whatever else out there. Um, and Indoor Adventure says that it's actually $165 for that. So it is basically oh. MSRP for the books and the screen. No discount. So, uh, that's tough. There you go. That is all right, tough. I'm about to wait for a sale. <laughs> you can wheel right, and deal so. with your game store, maybe. <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah. Be like, I'll run, run some, some Adventure League if you guys give me a 15% discount. <laughs> That'll work. So my week uh, started out with our Tuesday night game. Um, we played some Tomb of Annihilation. We had some weeks off, but I've, I'm in an Adventure League Tomb of Annihilation on Roll20 on Anaris' channel. And we've got PB plays inside, Nomadic, and uh, me and Anaris. It looks like we're going to bring on a fourth cast member pretty oh, soon. Oh, cool. And it was pretty fun because we're trudging our way through the jungles of Cholt, um, the only thing that makes me up, not upset, but, um, throws me off a little bit is I want to be watching the roll 20 tomb of annihilation stream that Adam Coble is running right now with his players, mm -hmm. but I can't cause I'm playing in the campaign. So I'm like, I don't want to know so what the maps playing, look like. You're not playing, uh, the tomb of annihilation adventure league content they created. You're just playing tomb of annihilation with adventure league rules. Yes. Okay. Yep, same thing. Yep. And I asked him about that last week to be sure that's exactly what we're doing. So we're playing the Tomb of Annihilation adventure with AL rules. Yeah, um, which is cool. That's fun. And uh, so I made fifth level. So I've got to lock my character in before um, next Tuesday, our next session. And here's the crazy thing. I don't know if the rest of you in chat are this way, but it, I think me and Jordan are this way. Maybe I'll, I'll see what Jordan says. But the moment don't, they don't just said project I on me, I'm my own yeah, person. I know, <laughs> I know. <laughs> no, I'm. A, I want you to think just like me. <laughs> <laughs> now that I can switch anything in Adventure League at fifth level, you have to lock your character in, and you can't change anything anymore. Before that, you can change anything about your character except their level and like one or two other minor, minor, minor things. But you can go from being a human, whatever, and now you're a dragonborn that very next session, but now that's it. There's no more changing after that. And I love making characters. I love creating and coming up with ideas of characters. So now I'm super torn about, do I use this opportunity to try out a whole new character fifth level and re-roll the stuff that I need to re-roll and, and create all the class stuff I need to do and get my character sheet all whipped up and do that? Or do I stick with the character I'm at? Because I like the character I'm at, mm -hmm. but I also like trying other things. I also like, oh, what would it be like if I was the warlock this or if I was this or that? So now I'm agonizing over, I need to lock in. So I have like but real how, anxiety. How many have you changed your character though? I haven't changed anything yet. Yeah, so. I'm still thinking about it. Well, but like, so I feel like you're getting rid of this potential thing that you haven't utilized because you have been kind of sticking with the character that you have. It's not like you're changing your race every other session, right? Right. No, yeah. I have not. So, yeah, so you need not. to calm down, calm down. But <laughs> it is true. But I'm, I'm heavy. I could change the, you know, so 
I don't know. I think it's because I like to make characters that it's maybe for other people. It's like, no, I'm already playing the character. I, I made the character I wanted to be. This is what I want to play. But for me, it's like, I want to play seven different types of character. I want to play, like I just, I was telling you about, I just made that um, desert mage last night that I'm like, oh my God, this is so good. I want to play this character. I think mm -hmm. it's going to be really good. And then I made a, I made a character that was based off Black Panther to see if I could make something that was very Black Panther-like mm -hmm. playing. And I'm like, oh, I could play that now. So I was like, <laughs> uh, so Adventure League is fun because it does allow you to do that. And for you new players who are newer to the game, Adventure League can be used for you not only to learn how to play, which is one of the reasons they do it, not only can it be how Jordan used it, which was to meet new people that you might be able to play in other games that mm -hmm. aren't Adventure League or not on that Adventure League day at the game store. Um, so you get to meet new people. You can um, socialize some. But you can also use it to fix mistakes or perceived mistakes. If you said, here's the thing. I will probably get up to this in just a second. But if you make a, a mistake in your character selection and you play something that you realize, oh, that's not fun for me. Adventure League allows you to make that change easily. It's in the rules. It's right there. You can do it. You're encouraged to do it, which I really like. And I think I'm going to adopt as just a general rule with my players because the last thing I want them to do is feel like, oh, I made a bad decision first level because I thought this monk with this set of whatever was going to be really great. But in the end, I don't like, I don't really want to be I a melee. I don't like this feat that I took or things like yeah, that. Yeah, I don't want to be a melee person. So now I'm just stuck. I don't want that. I want to be sure that they have. Now, I, I, I want to, I like the idea that by fifth level, you have an idea of what you want to do, right? Mm -hmm. This You have to make that, there's a point where the decision needs to be made. Maybe it's fifth level, maybe it's sixth level, whatever you want to put in your campaign. If you're going to do it, I'm going to do it. I, I like the fifth level point. I like to say, okay, you've had some time to tinker. You've had some time to play around. You've understood what you like to do and what you don't. You, you like to be ranged. You like to be melee. You like to be support. You like to be whatever. You get it now. Let's let's lock that in, and now let's see where this story goes. And, you know, if your guy dies, you get to make another one anyway. So, <laughs> so I think I'm going to switch to that. So that was the thing that I learned from my Tomb of Annihilation game. Um, it is kind of a hex crawl. If you're looking for hex crawl kind of stuff, that's been in the, in the, everybody's mouth a little bit over the last month or two, I've been seeing lots of people talk about hex crawls and how to run hex crawls. And if you want to do hex crawls, that kind of stuff. So Tomb of Annihilation is a good look at how, um, Wizards of the Coast does it. It's, I'm not saying it's the best way or it's the only way. It's a way that you can at least take a look at and say, okay, what do I like about this? Or what do I don't like about it? It feels like we're finally on the road to the quests like we finally got some information that's leading us to where we need to go and now it looks like we're really on because it kind of felt like we were just wandering around which mm -hmm. is cool that's what adventurers do they explore they adventure great but it feels like we've hit the thread of the of the whole adventure now and now we're about to ready beeline it to the thing and really get this thing kicked off so that was pretty fun we're hoping to bring in a fourth character i always like the idea of now a game of three in a dungeon master is a really tight, fun yeah. game. It's my hot springs Island game. And it's been for those of you that are, yeah, so. that are thinking about running games. That's a good sweet spot for a three hour ish game. Like if you're going to do three hours, maybe you're streaming it. Maybe you're not. Um, that many players is really good. I think the fours and five players are good. If you're going to have a little bit more time in your sessions. So if you have a, a Saturday afternoon session that you're playing with your friends that goes five or six hours, then having a couple more people is a really good sweet spot. You have some time to really get into things. But 
the thing I've noticed now is if you have a small time window to play D&D, you only have two hours and that's it. That's, that's what's set. Then I definitely recommend you keep the group smaller to accommodate the smaller time frame. Cause then you can get more done with those characters than having to worry about all the other stuff that's going mm-hmm. on. Out there, so. But three and four is a good sweet spot. Five is really fun for me. If you have the time to do it, I like the, uh, the idea of five because there's never a, there's never a two and two situation. There's always the one, the tiebreaker person, you know, that you have, it's mm-hmm. like some, some things there. So I always like that, that mix. Um, so that's been pretty fun. Wednesday, PB plays inside. She's been doing, she's creating a game. She's building an adventure. She's writing her first adventure, standalone adventure. And she wanted to test um, a combat or like a, 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 probably the end scene of the, the module that she's creating. Mm-hmm. And so she asked us, uh, it was me and it was, um, uh, I want to say, uh, indoor adventure and, who is our third? Oh, she had a friend. That's right. It was a friend that had never played before or hadn't played fifth edition before jumped in with us. We, and um, we're going to play this thing. So here's the funny thing. Here's the story behind it. I won't spoil it because I, she's going to want to put her adventure up so people can actually play it from like DMs guild or drive through RPG. Um, <clears throat> but she made this cool elaborate end game kind of thing, big boss battle the way you want to do it. She told us to make characters, told us to make fifth level characters, but none of us really talked to each other. So we just showed up that night. We all had our characters done and we're like, okay, so we, I look over to my left and, and what do you got? And we got, oh, you're a half orc, uh, battle master. And I looked at him and I thought, oh, I'm a half orc battle master. And we looked <laughs> at our third guy and he said, what are you? And he's like, oh, I'm a human champion three fighters show up to this end battle and we're like, Oh my God, this is the craziest thing ever. We came up with a cool story that we were all brothers and that he was our half brother and we were Mm -hmm. all the same. And we really got into it, really had a lot of fun and it was super cool. The interesting thing about doing it was trying to build an encounter when you don't know what your player group is bringing. Gotcha. Because if you're building or writing for a module, you never know who's bought that and what their player group is set up. It's very different when we all talk about, like if you go and watch all the advice out there about how to build an encounter for your group, it's always about knowing what your group is, right? And so then you can say, okay, this is my group. These are their levels. This is what they are. Here's how I can build that encounter with a CR that's close and I can use the this method or that method or whatever but it's very different when you're talking about, I need to build an encounter that works for everybody's group. And I thought that was an yeah. interesting thing to sit. Like uh, the, the Roper in my adventure that I wrote, if you guys had been more ranged attack stuff and would then just like hang out and take it, take it out from, from afar, that would have been a very different encounter, but instead everybody like rushed in to melee it. And that's when they got caught and grappled and, and eaten. So, yeah. So it was very interesting. And I like the idea of testing out encounters. You don't have to run a full, we did a very light RP, but even in that, even in this three hour game that we played, it might've been one of four hours. Um, this, this big thing that she had set up, we still had a little bit of an RP story that came out of it. Even just a single scene, a single set of six second rounds we built story we built a cool story that we could talk about or expand on so it's so funny how even the smallest kernel of something from dungeons and dragons allows you to build 
an elaborate story, right? Mm-hmm. We, we were, uh, me and Indoor were just talking about how the Orc brothers, you know, and who our mom and dad was and who was the mom and who was the dad and how all that was. And it's just really cool that that could be generated. I can't think of anything else that generates that much creativity and excitement from so small of a, it would be like if you bought a video game and you played, I don't know, the first hour and then you just never played it again, but your mind is just making the story up and going with the characters and the world. And, you know, it's, it, yeah, I don't even get that from that, but from Dungeons and Dragons, I get it all the time, which yeah. is like, oh, I want to see where these characters go or, oh, why is this bad guy even here? What are we going to do the next time? And so we're going to play the whole scenario again. She wants us to build a little bit more of an optimized group. So a group that's um, a little bit more diverse so that she can test her encounter, which is a really good idea because we just went melee heavy. That's a very different fight than if you have a wizard, a rogue, and a cleric mm-hmm. in that you know that come into that instead of three fighters, right? Um, so it was really strange. Although I think we were maybe we were higher than level five. I think maybe we we're level seven. Um, but I realized, and I would love to hear your opinion and chat's opinion. This is the first time I've thought this. I've thought so far, Dungeons and Dragons has done a great job with every class, every subclass. I'm taking that back now. They've done 99% a really good job of having good classes. The fighter champion is terrible. Have you played one of these yet? Uh, No, but I have a fighter champion in my group, in my my Sunday game, and he is a rock star. Like the improved critical at 19, like he he can crit on a 19 or a 20. Um, They, fighters can just attack so many times. Uh, I don't know. Like he, he doesn't, he's not interesting and I shouldn't say, well, I feel bad saying that out loud because I would want to play a battle master. Like I would want to have like things to manipulate the playing ground with, but he likes that he just dishes out lots of damage and hits on a higher critical. So like, it's, it seems like a simplified fighter, but I would still say it's very effective or at least he's very effective in my game. So here's what, here's what came glaring to us. We had three of us, two battle masters, same level, two Mm. battle masters and the champion. So we're doing more damage than he was. I was the battle master. We were affecting the battleground more. We had more options to make and stop things from happening. So it shined a spotlight when you had those two things in the same battle at the same time. Like if you don't have any other fighter and the champions there, I don't think you catch on to it. I don't think you see it, but it's when the battle master is there and all of a sudden two battle masters. Cause the battle master gets like extra D eights to their damage and stuff. Right. Yeah. And they, We're yeah. doing all kinds of cool and crazy stuff to make things happen. We're helping our players move on their reaction time. We're doing a repost. We're doing, you know, defensive stuff, offensive stuff, all kinds of things that are happening. And the player who played the champion, just, he felt like, I don't like this at all. You guys are getting to do all kinds of stuff. We're playing the same class. How come I can't do any of that? All he could do was swing the sword, but that's what we were doing. Our swords hit just as hard as his did. This is the funny thing too, is we were all sword and shield guys. Like we were all just big bruiser, sword and shield, big hit point dudes, half orcs. We were getting big crit stuff. We were getting all of that stuff. And, And so it really was glaring side by side. Yeah. The champion fighter though was created as a simplest, it, it was for a, a more simple player. Like there are those players out there that didn't want to have like, here's 70 different options. Like they didn't play a wizard because of that. They yeah. wanted to play something that was a little more straightforward. And I think the champion fighter was created for that. Um, so to, 
but I mean, I guess you're, are you were saying like it's weaker than other, than other classes. Right. Well, here's um, what I'm saying. Maybe it what is. is it? I don't know. Yeah. What is its sixth level ability? Uh, I don't know off the top of my head. Yeah. Like the, the thing you start with, that's cool that you mentioned was the crit thing. Right. But what do you gain after that? was almost nothing. So don't you get alternate fighter um, styles too? Or is that just all fighters? Yeah, that's all fighters. Oh, it's all fighters. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. It what what threw me off is because I went back and looked at it because really a brand new character to D D, he hadn't played fifth edition. He played that character and he walked away not liking his character. Yeah. That's a red flag for me. Right? Because that's not us influencing him and telling him it was terrible. We just played a game. He watched how we played our characters and mm -hmm. he played his character and he's trying to learn the game and it's the same thing. And he walked away with a bad experience. That's the flag that tells me something's up. And so I went back and looked at it and I was trying to figure out what is what do you get as you become a, a more champion, higher level. And it was weird that from the first level, you got your kind of cool thing, like you said, a better crit. But after that, you didn't get anything that helped you. You, didn't, you wouldn't feel like you're advancing like all the other members in your party are suddenly sprouting crazy abilities and, and crazy new things that they can do in the battlefield. You're not changing each of those levels, fourth level, fifth level, sixth level, seventh level, your character barely changes at all during that. So I do understand. It has to get something. Do, yeah. Like, you're going to look it up now. I want to look it up because <laughs> I'm like, it has to get something. The champion. Yeah, it has to get something. So everybody gets a fighting style. Yeah. Look it well, up. Athlete there we go. At, seventh, at seventh level. So what does a remarkable athlete do? That's what it, yeah. So at seventh level, right? Remarkable athlete. You should be getting something good. You add half your proficiency to any strength, dexterity, or constitution check you make that doesn't already use your proficiency bonus. So it's kind of like the bard, jack of all trades. Um, and so you get a bonus to something you you're not normally good farther. at. And then, no, at 10th level, you get an additional fighting style. That's not something the Battlemaster gets. So you right, could be really we good with um, a sword yeah. and shield and a bow. And so, right. it, I, yeah, like, I think it's balanced. Um, but it is, <laughs> it is for people who wanted a simpler character. Like, they wanted to just hit, and they yeah. didn't want to, like, go into a bunch of other things. But um, that's really interesting, though. Like, yeah, at seventh level, maybe it doesn't shine. Maybe it shines later. But I will say, like, being able to crit on a 19 and 20, like, you have a 1 in 10 chance rather than a 1 in 20 chance of landing critical hits. And that's yeah. huge. That's, like, yeah. I mean, that's a lot. So it, well, cool, it's, not cool it's not as active. It's not as active as I think you want it to be. But I don't know if it's underpowered. Yeah. I think, I think it's easier to play for somebody who's new, but mm -hmm. if you walk away and you don't like that character, that says no, that's something. Huge. And that's your, your player too. Like he yeah. obviously didn't like his character. He wants something more complex. There might yeah. be like my, my fighter at my table loves his character and he does not want to have, like I've even given him magic items that gives him special abilities. Like he has a sword that does burning hands and another sword that does gust of wind. And he yeah. never uses them because he's like, well, I like hitting. And so it's like yeah. for him, he loves that character. So, yeah. So it was interesting to me. I, no, I it is interesting. It, it, yeah. So it was pretty fun. The, the last thing on that, it was funny at the end of that battle, it looks like we're, we're about to die. We're all down to our last hit points. Um, we're fighting one guy. So all of a sudden it's three on one, right? So we've got all these actions, economy, all this stuff comes out. Cause that's always where D and D breaks down a little bit as far as, 
when you're fighting one big bad guy who gets one action in the turn and yeah. then he's fighting a group of action people that has action surge and all these other things and we're just piling it on. In the last combat, I think out of the six attacks we had to hit this guy, all five, uh, all of us, five of them were crits. We oh, all wow. crits at the very end with only one of them not being crit and we hammered the guy it was crazy so it was super fun and, and it was an interesting uh battle so the dice sometimes just come out of nowhere yeah. and just just save you you know so it was pretty funny it's a good story we'll laugh and talk about it i think he overall had a good experience with the session he had players that were supportive um pb although has never gm'd a game has that was her first kind of i'm running the scene mm -hmm. which was cool so she was learning what she hasn't she didn't know about or oh i didn't realize i had to do this thing or this or how does this work in roll 20 so that it, we so that's cool she was learning i think she had a good time i think she got good feedback on her her encounter and i hope we got another person that was excited to play some more even if you know at the end of it he didn't enjoy i just think it was that contrast of you guys are doing a bunch of things and i'm, I'm yeah. only doing one thing yeah no i could definitely see it so yeah so um also, that made me think, that prompted me into thinking about, I want to start all my campaigns from now on in this fashion. I'm going to tell the characters that I want you to make a 10th level character. I want to run one cool combat scene that's somewhere far in the future with them playing their 10th level character. And then... We bring them all the way back to first level and we start our campaign. So I want this cool idea that you can see what you are at 10th. You can see the things you're going to get and the ways you're going to go and what you liked about that in that combat. Or even if maybe there was something you didn't like and you're like, okay, I want to make sure I adjust that a little bit. But now, now I understand what I got. I know all oh, this is going to be really cool. This is what we're building towards at least part of it. Now let's bring you back and let's play that story from start to finish. Hey, you're the farmer who threw down his shovel and said, you know what? I'm going to be an adventurer. Let's go do this. So I think, I think that'd be a really cool idea to give people incentive to say, oh, I can't wait till I can do these cool things. Now I'm here and I can't wait to get there. You know I don't I mean? know. It's it, That feels like to me, if somebody did that to me, it would feel like here, have all of these toys. Now I'm going to take them away. <laughs> And so I would be like, well, no, why don't we just, I want to play this 10th level character that I made. Um, but I, I don't know. I see your point. It could go either way. But I think personally I would be like, no, 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 no. Like, like maybe, maybe start at 10th level and be like, here's an ancient fight that happened. And now you guys are, are in the aftermath of that. So you have this like really awesome fight, but I start a new character at level one. Uh, yeah. that could, I don't know, but I, I, well, I would be sad kind of, that I lost my 10th level stuff. Yeah. <laughs> it was kind of a weird, I was thinking about it cinematically too, because yeah. a lot of times with movies, you get a flash, mm -hmm. they set up the premise and now let's go back and see what's going on. And, and I thought, wow, wouldn't that be interesting if you did an adventure that way? Yeah. Where yeah. maybe you jumped around to a few different points in the lives of these heroes that would be so cool. And what would happen if like they died at level two, how do you explain the level 10 thing? And that has to come around in the story somehow. Mm -hmm. I just think it would be a cool exercise of um, playing, but I also think it tends to, I think I was thinking about it too, because most of my campaigns don't get to level 10. Yeah. We will spend two years playing in a campaign. Like what's your characters right now for your campaign, your long running one. They're level 10. Yeah. So after all this time you've put in, they've just now got to 10 and we're nowhere near, you know, 11 to 20 at this point. 
and it only gets harder and it only takes longer yep. to get to that point, um, depending on how you're doing your XP and such. Um, I think what I'm trying to do is find ways to get into the mid-level, high-level game sooner. Mm -hmm. Or at least give people the chance to do that. Because we've all talked to players that are like, I'd really like to play a high-level character, but it seems like we never get there. Our campaigns are always really low-level. And I think that's pretty common everywhere. Like, if you did a Twitter poll and you said, how many of you played a 15th-level anything? Mm -hmm. That's going to be a lot smaller than how many of you played a third-level something. Yeah. You know what I mean? So I think that was very interesting. That's kind of what I took away from that that test. That was on Wednesday night. Then Thursday night, I had my pre-Borderlands finale last battle last episode shut the campaign down so that i can revamp it and bring it up ready to rock and roll probably in august um we had a mega battle against the big bad person the team had crazily pulled it out of their uh the the crapper i guess at this point <laughs> i the skin of their teeth and the luck of a roll and it came down to a single dice roll swayed it swung the battle they came back battled and i got to do the really fun thing with we did random rolls for the layer generation out of the dmg so i had each of them roll dice to see how much gold they got how much platinum they got how many times they got to roll on the magic table and then they got to roll make rolls on the magic table to see what magic items they grab as they as they took off running out of the place and i think they all had a lot of fun um they were a little bit sad to be leaving those characters, but they're also excited about the new characters they've created for the upcoming campaign. Because um, that was really, we've had this big discussion because I made a mistake when I started this. I wanted to test my campaign out before I went live with it, mm -hmm. right? So I wanted to run a kind of a trial thing. I thought that would be about three sessions, maybe, maybe two sessions, let these characters go. The problem was the characters were so good in session one and two, we kept playing. Then we got to three and four. Then we got to 13 and 15. And the story they were creating was so good, I didn't want to stop it. And then I wanted them to get to the end of like a storyline, like a bookend of this is the big bad guy that you guys have been struggling against this whole time. You finally found them things. You're in the lair. You're there to take them down. I got to give you that. I can't just stop the campaign. So this test that I really didn't expect to run as long as it did ended up making really good characters that they really got attached to. So yeah. in a way I'm the jerk because I'm like, we have to shut that down. You guys are fourth level. You're loving your characters, but this wasn't the real campaign. We, we need to go to the real campaign with the real rules and the real things that are going on now that I've got all this tested out. So I felt a little bad, but we've talked about it with the characters quite a bit and they've all kind of gotten on board with their new characters um, we, there's new options that have come out now since the last time we started. So they have a lot more stuff to take a look at race wise. And we did random character generation. They, they were big into random character generation. Like I gave them the choice. They could either choose one way or the other. They could just make normal characters or we could all randomly roll it. And they all wanted to randomly roll everything. So random classes, random races, random stats, and they're diving into it. They're just loving the, the thing they're, It's a challenge to them to make something work. Yeah, and I like the idea of encouraging people to try at your table different things with your players because you'll never know what quite resonates with them. So you might try my table is about you give them something to play and they're going to try to find a way to make that fun and make it interesting and, and see if they can do it. So if they just hand them a champion, that person's going to make them interesting. They're going to try to find a way to make it, you know, to make it work. 
Whereas other tables, they may, you know, they just want to play their character, the one they've been thinking about or the one that they've created. So definitely add in variety, I think, to games and check in with your players to say, hey, you want to try it this way to see what happens? What happens if it's randomly generated? What do you guys think of this? And um, Or do you want more combat? Do you want more story? Do you want more background stuff? Mm-hmm. Do you want more intrigue? Do you want more mystery? Do you want more puzzles? You know, keep keep asking them so that you guys are all playing the game that you want to play. And I think, whoo. So the last thing for that, and I'll hand it over, although it feels like I've talked the whole hour. And you George have. Just, <laughs> so sorry. No, I'm it's sorry. all good. It's interesting stuff. But I was looking now. at the time, and I was just like, yeah. oh, man, this is weird. We got a lot of ghost stuff. You had a lot going on this week in D&D. So. I did. I did. The last thing, I wanted help from chat, and I'll probably do some Twitter stuff over the next week, is I want to add a mega dungeon to my hex crawl. So I want to be able to put in rumors that say, over in this hex, everybody knows about a mega dungeon. You're welcome to go there if you want, but you can go do other stuff. If you want to do political intrigue, you want to do overland exploration, you want to do underworld stuff, whatever, You can your group decides where they go and what type of story they want, and I'm going to run that. But I also want to drop a mega dungeon in there. So... I was watching Ben over at uh, Questing Beast, and he was talking about Maze of the, or he was talking about Borrow Maze, which I saw. And that's one I'm considering. And then uh, WebDM, um, they were talking a little bit about Maze of the Blue Medusa. Yeah, it's a good one. Um, and so my question was for all of you out there: if you know of any other good mega dungeons that I could look into, good books that have good descriptions of a mega dungeon, let me know because I want to pick one of these to put into my world that my players can have rumors to and go and find and play around in if they want. If they want solid dungeon delving, they can mm. go right to it and do it. The 3.5 Undermountain book would be a good one. Oh, I'm writing it down. Um, and then as far as like Mega Dungeon, yeah, that's the only one I can really think of. Uh, but... I hear it doesn't have to be D&D. It can be, I will convert anything out there. So if it's a mega dungeon for Pathfinder or it's a mega dungeon for 7th C or it's a mega dungeon for 13th Age, whatever it is, let me know. I'll convert it to the 5th edition to make it work. I just want the overall scope of it. I want to look at the maps and how they've got it set up. I want to see the factions they've got in there. I want to see all that kind of stuff that I can say, okay, I'm going to use this and put it in my, in Mm -hmm. my campaign. Yeah, yeah. Leave uh, some comments below on the YouTube video as well and help out Lucian with his Mega Dungeon. Um, that's awesome. And that was my week in Dungeons and & Dragons and Games. <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> um, the... I didn't play Adventure League this week because uh, I got there and all the tables were full and they asked me if I wanted to DM something for Adventure League. And I was like, well, I'm not prepared. I didn't bring any of my books or my battle map or miniatures or anything. So I bowed out and I just kind of went home. So I didn't play Adventure League this week. And that was the first time that I've showed up that they were just like, sorry, tables are full. Like we don't really want to push people away. But um, this guy has, I think it's a, you're supposed to have a max of seven players at a table. And this guy already had nine players at his table. And I was just like, ah, it's just way too many. So I'll, I'll like take a cue or a hint and I'll, I'll go home. Um, my home group, I've been doing this inverted pyramid and I wanted to try something interesting where they fought themselves. So as they walk into this room, uh, they did a bunch of other little exploratory stuff. But the main thing I wanted to talk about is they walk into this room and they see a giant mirror on one of the walls. And as they are examining this mirror, themselves walk out of the mirror. And I had everybody roll initiative and I had made photocopies of their character sheets. 
And so Jordan, the DM, had all of their characters. They had their characters, and it was literally their characters versus the other ones. So completely even matched in abilities. I asked him ahead of time, like, what is your hit points at? And then I lowered or raised their hit points to match what I had photocopied. Uh, mm -hmm. It was a really interesting fight um, because it was good for the players to finally realize that their AC was ridiculously high or that they had certain abilities that were uh, a little overpowered. And what I thought was interesting is they immediately were like, so like the paladin who has 20 AC walks over to the other mouse paladin that had, or the, the uh, Nega paladin that had 20 AC and wasn't able to hit, wasn't able to hit. And the Nega paladin wasn't able to hit the regular one and back and forth until I finally dropped a hint that I'm like, you know, you guys can communicate and you have weaknesses, maybe try to play off of each other. So, and so then our paladin was like, well, my dexterity is really low. So then they started doing like spells that target dexterity on the paladin while the rest of them were, you know, like the, the rangers, like my AC isn't that high. So then they all like doubled up on the ranger and killed it. Uh, it, the, the entire fight, uh, went one-sided real quick when one of them went down so the monk ended up going down oh, man. four mm -hmm. and the whole it was a slippery slope of just like and they they kind of like mopped this up really quick but it was a really fun fight like uh something i had not tried before and i like trying new things with this group and they're usually game mm -hmm. for it and so i'm just like what if we actually fought yourselves as opposed to a monster in the dungeon master's guide and so i was like action surging i was doing all this stuff we have um the eye of savaris which is a reflavored wand of wonder that the monk has and i was able to use that as a magic item and almost petrified the cleric which was really exciting so lots of cool stuff there um, that's really cool. What I like about that is um, that's a very superhero storyline trope. Oh, yeah. Like the idea that somehow they fight something exactly the same as them, right? Or if, when one group goes against the one group, there's always strong guy fights strong guy and, and super versatile guys fight super versatile guy and super speedster fights other super speedster. Mm -hmm. So it's like that kind of that, that cool thing. And my favorite comic storyline was always about, I think it, it was probably like Wolverine or something like that was telling the students he was watching. Why are you fighting just like them? Like, why is the strong guy fighting the strong guy? Why is yeah. it the strong guy just kill the really weak? You know, why aren't you mixing and yeah, matching? Cause why you, are you, just you going fight one better on one if you mix one? and match yeah, yeah. and stuff like that. So, like, like I was saying basically, and it was interesting that that was their initial reaction was like, well, I've got to go fight myself. I'm like, no, you don't like you guys are five <laughs> against five. You can fight whoever you want. Um, and I even started messing around with the, the Nega creatures. I was having them like, well, no, this guy is going to attack the cleric because he sees that the cleric is healing other people or blessing other people. So, yeah, yeah it was a lot of yeah, fun. Imagine if you'd have done – do you think you could have walked through them if you played it that way from the beginning? You think I could like just smash them? You mean like like yeah? Because yeah. you know their abilities. Yeah. You know how they their characters work at this point. You know yeah. their weapons. You know the things they forget to use every single week while you're at the GM. Going, I wonder why they didn't use this action surge mm -hmm. that time. I wonder why they didn't do this. So this is that one time to say, here's what your group could do. Let me show you. Yeah, <laughs> just like. In a way, and that's what I did. Like I used a lot of the special abilities that they had. Um, yeah. But but I I I don't know. Like I don't want to say I. I could have just totally been like ants on sugar. Let's cause I knew when one person went down, that was going to mm -hmm. tip the scales like 100%. Yeah. 
So I could have ants on sugared them, just targeted the cleric and killed the cleric. But it was more fun to kind of have them spread out and like everyone, everyone picked one person to fight because it was five on five. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's just interesting. My like, my like uh, tactical brain instantly says, well, of course my players are going to do this. And they do the complete opposite. They're just like, well, I'm going to go hit myself in the face. And I'm like, that's <laughs> not necessarily the best thing to do. That's so. awesome. That was fun. I wish you were putting that online so we could all watch that stuff. That was fun. I got some recording equipment because my wife wanted to start a podcast and I've been thinking about recording uh, at least audio of some of the fights, yeah. but, um, but I don't know. It's, I don't know. We'll see. It's, on, it's fun to have it just, yeah, it's fun to have it just be our game, you know, and kind of like re recoup here and talk about like things that are happening in the game. Uh, mm -hmm. But yeah, it's, it's also fun to stream. So it's six, one, half a dozen of the other. Yep. Um, and then my hot springs Island game, um, they're exploring, they found like a ogre encampment and they kind of befriended a bunch of the ogres. But the only thing I really wanted to talk about that is it's been really interesting. My players being how cautious they should be with an attack. So they're just kind of like, yeah, I think we can take this out. And they went into an area that had two salamanders and they were like, okay, I think we can fight these salamanders. And they did, they had to take a short rest afterwards because they got pretty beat up and they were like, all right, we can definitely take two salamanders. Let's sneak down the hallway and see what else is there. They sneak down the hallway. George and rolls randomly on the table there and so they all ultimately they just turned and went like well we're gonna go home now and they like left which i was really bummed about because it's a really cool dungeon they could have explored but because mm -hmm. i rolled randomly and i'm like you could talk to them and they were like well we just killed two of their other people i'm wearing some of the salamander armor it doesn't really make sense for us to go talk to them i'm like yeah that's smart so <laughs> hot springs island is going to be the game now that i've read the entire adventure i think it's going to be the game i have to prep the least because we do just sit down they tell me where they want to go i roll randomly and then i make it up on the fly and we yeah. see what happens uh but they're really excited that they found this ogre encampment that they were able to befriend the ogres so that they don't have to like fight them and they can kind of have a home base now so i'm curious as to where they're going to go or if they're going to be like well we want to help the ogres now like where are the ogres going to send us and in, in, in yeah. are they going to go fight more salamanders are we going to just go explore more other stuff so i don't know it's uh i really like this this campaign setting like it's super fun yeah. So. I think it's interesting too, because I, I had to be a little careful with mine because when we started my kind of similar campaign where you can go anywhere you want yeah, and, and I, there's no thing, my group was so set on looking for the storyline that they're supposed to yep. be on as if they're playing a module. And it took them a little while to get away from that. It's not, it's cool that your group sounds like they've already got that in their head. They know what's going on. It's been introduced to them well, and they're not searching for something that's not there. And they're just mm -hmm. thinking about, hey, what would we do? I, I don't know. Let's go west because west sounds cool. Let's go do that yeah. sort of thing. I think it's also important. There was a big point you, you said that was awesome but went by super quick. The initial prep, the campaign prep was a lot. Yes. The session prep is going to be very little. Yes. So I think that's a lot of us forget to separate the two when we're talking to new GMs and DMs to say, how much prep do you do for this or that? Well, campaign prep can be one thing and session prep can be another thing. And then show prep can be the last thing if you're doing a show where yours isn't, but that could be the last thing. And you might want to split those up when you're asking somebody about, because yeah. if you just go to any random GM and say, uh, Hey, indoor adventure. I know you ran a game. How much prep are you doing? And if he says, Oh, I do about two hours of prep a week. 
that might not tell you anything if you're not playing the same type of game he's playing. Is yeah. that because he's doing a module? Is that because he's doing something else? So be really kind of clear about what you're talking about. Campaign prep is one thing. I think session prep is one thing. And then maybe show prep if you're doing anything like that. Is yeah. Yeah. Cause one. like for campaign prep, I've read the entire book and then I sat down and read it again. And yeah. then uh, now I kind of flip through to the areas that I need. I'm like, oh, they're they're at the ogre encampment. I better like read what do the ogres want again? And Hot Springs Island is really good with telling you like, here's this group on the island. Here's what they want and here's what they don't want. So it's a nice little refresher to remind you. But as far as like session prep, I don't do anything because I'm like, I don't know where they're going to be. We literally sit down. I open up. There's a there's a great online app that rolls for you for Hot Springs Island. And so mm -hmm. I roll on these tables um, completely random. And then, uh, that's the improv aspect of it is you kind of just glue it together from there, like where yeah. they're going and what they're doing. So, yeah, um, my West March is exactly that. It's yeah. the idea. I did a lot of prep in the beginning, but then with session, it's just, I make stuff up on the fly. I do like one mm -hmm. hour. I sit down and think about the game as we're about to get going. And then I just let it happen, which is cool. If you can improv, it's cool. If you're used to making things up on the fly, you might not be able to do that if you're brand new, it might be something you have to do once you've played the game some and, and have uh, either played it or ran it a few times. So I still love modules and I still think they're a cool thing to do and they have good ideas and they're they're good and concise. And concise. But once you feel like you've got that, definitely try this other style of, hey, let's just let the dice roll and see what happens. Yeah. You know, and make, and make story from that. You know, mm -hmm. these two salamanders came up. That was just randomly rolled, but now let's weave it into the story. Why were they there? Are there yep. more of them? Or is there going to be other stuff going on? Yep. Do I want that to be a big thing? Do they come back? You know, that whole thing gets to woven yeah. in there all from a single dice roll. That was really cool. They've already, like I rolled randomly and they fought a bunch of fire imps and they just decided to attack these fire imps, even though they could have communicated with them. And I've already worked it into the story where I'm like, if you meet fire imps again, they're going to attack you on site because you're the, you're the jerks that went and, and, killed their brothers for no you reason are the bad guys yeah they are the bad guys like they could have totally communicated and talked to these fire amps but they decided to attack them so now they've made an enemy for life on the island you know and, yeah uh, awesome. i like that idea so uh i think that's our show uh i, I didn't want to like rush through the things but i didn't have a ton to talk about i just wanted to talk about the doppelganger fight mostly because i thought that was really fun but, I want to do one now yeah. that I like you that should. idea. It's really cool. It was, <laughs> it was uh, intense for me to have everybody's character sheets, but what was really fun is I would be like, I would, what, what do you have ability wise again? And she's like, well, I can do flame strike. And I'm like, okay, that's what I want to do. Like I, I would ask my players, like, I want to do something really big and damaging right now. What have you got? And they would help me attack themselves um, because, and it was, it was just <laughs> fun. fun. Like we had a good time with it. So yeah. Thank you guys so That's much for like watching. Cool... Oh, go ahead. Oh, sorry. That was almost like a cool check-in for those players too, to be oh, able yeah. to say, this is how we've been playing. This is how Jordan thinks we can play. Oh, he did something I hadn't done before. Now I can use that. Or making them think about their abilities in a different way that they can yeah. go from that point on, that could be a huge turning point for them to say, somebody could swing and start doing something totally different because now they understand a little bit right. more of what's going on. That's such a cool idea. Like, and I did it too. Uh, the paladin has a low dex. Do you have anything that like targets dex? And and she was flipping through her spell cards and she's like, I don't really have anything that targets dex, but I do have this area of effect thing. And I'm like, oh, that's awesome. We're going to do that over all of the people that are in this area. And it was just, it was really fun to like, be like, how would you play your evil villain or your evil double? And so, yeah, yeah. it was cool. Yeah, I had a lot did you of give them all goatee? 
Yeah, actually, we did. We were joking that they all had goatees and like, because <laughs> I'm like, no, they're like they're the evil versions of you. They have glowing red eyes and they have goatees. Yeah. So that's exactly what happened. So, yeah. Thank you guys oh, so much so for coming good. out. Uh, always good to see people in the chat that are hanging out. Um, we love you guys uh, watching us live on Saturday mornings at uh, 12 p.m. Uh, uh, not Pacific, uh, Eastern time, 9 a.m. Pacific. As always, I am Jordan, and I am joined by Sir Lucian, and this has been the Saturday Morning D&D Show. We will, get, we will see you next week with another episode, hopefully lots of uh, cool information because they're going to announce some stuff. So be sure to tune in next week because um, we're going to have loads of uh, D&D stuff to talk about, I think. Um, and until then, I will see you guys next week. I've got a gaming convention to go to, so I'm going to take off. Yay. Bye, everybody. Make sure you check out the YouTube and the audio out on a podcast now version too. Yep. So see you Links guys later. in the doobly-doo Bye -bye. for those who are interested. Take care, guys. Bye-bye. Our intro and outro music is 8-Bit March by Twin Musicom, licensed under Creative Commons. Check out their website at www.twinmusicom.org.